Lincoln Uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. I found the life that I liked and I worked toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah. Big love. Welcome to the Uplifters Podcast. I'm your host, Aranza Savas. Have a little bit of a cold today, so I apologize if I sound like I well, if I sound like the jackhammers that keep drilling up the street outside my house today. Um, but I am so excited to have Sarah Jessic join us. So Sarah founded Under Canvas back in 2009. Under Canvas is the U.S.'s largest glamping company. She grew it from its infancy to being valued at over a hundred million dollars. And then after exiting under Canvas, she set up Enigma Ventures, which is a venture capital fund that invests in female entrepreneurs in Africa. Sarah, I'm so excited to hear your story of how you started your company. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. And hopefully I can do all the talking so we can rest your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll just occasionally giggle and say, yeah. Uh, <laughs> monosyllabic answers only today. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about the founding of your first company. Did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? No, no, I I really don't think I understood entrepreneurship. It just wasn't ever anything that was on my radar. And I, I don't know whether that's true for a lot of women or if it was just true for me, but it, I went to a fairly competitive girls' high school in the UK. Entrepreneurship was never anything that was really talked about. It wasn't like a career option. Um, you know, I did a law degree for my university and, you know, we were supposed to be lawyers and doctors and physiotherapists and maybe administrators of some kind or maybe CEOs, but no, you know, I'm working for a big company, but no one ever talked about founding a big company or building a big company. So it really was not on my radar at all. And so how did it happen that you found yourself an entrepreneur? A complete accident. I think what I know about myself now is that I have always been, but I didn't have language for it when I was younger, definitely always been a pioneer, which is what an entrepreneur really is, right? Someone who likes breaking new ground, someone who likes doing things that other people are not doing, someone who likes sort of making a path where no one else is going. And that certainly had been my trajectory. By the time I ended up becoming an entrepreneur, it wasn't a huge leap. I started my career working for aid organizations with this desire to really do some some good in the world and and help solve some of the big ills and big evils in the world. But after sort of seven or eight years of working for aid organizations, I was just really disillusioned. And so sort of a sideways leap into entrepreneurship happened because I, I realized aid agencies are not very good at solving problems. They're really, really good at supporting needy situations and needy people, but not at getting to the root of the heart of a problem. 
But of course, that's what a business does. A business solves a problem. It's reactive instead of strategic. Yeah, it takes the problem and says, how can we create a solution to that problem that's sustainable? And so that was sort of when the, the penny dropped for me, that, that business could be a really, really good vehicle for, for solving problems, driving change and doing good. I think for so many women, when they have those moments of realization, they are stopped or stalled often fatally by the question of, but, but not me, how me, why me? What gave you the courage to just do it? I think we find it hard to listen to our own inner voice. I think most of us have quite a loud inner voice, but most of us are really used to ignoring it. I think because we have so many people around us that we end up having to tend to, we tend to, you know, in our, if we're married or have a life partner and children and a house that we have yes. responsibilities towards and women tend to be caregivers in society. And I think we get used to putting other people first and other, other things first. And we don't get used to attending to or listening to our own inner desires. And what often is true for most of us is we have a thing that we're really passionate about or that we care about or that eats at us or that something that just inspires us. And it's when we listen to that voice, when we're able to hear ourselves and connect with ourselves, that we're really able to do our best work in the world, I think. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I think about it a little bit like the difference between the aid organizations and the business mm. that we can get into that place of aid and reactivity yeah. and miss the opportunity to make bigger strategic impact because we're so lost in the weeds of just solving the immediate problem in the moment. Yes. Yes. I think, I think that's exactly right. And I think for women, that's, that's especially problematic for sure. Mm -hmm. And many of us were trained to do that. Yeah. I think societally, culturally, I think that's, that's just the world we, we have been born into and got used to existing in. And, and that's how we found our, we found our way. So it's quite confusing to sort of embrace the idea of, no, actually there's something big inside of you that, that is your gift to the world and that you could do something quite extraordinary that could drive change and solve a big problem or create something. It doesn't even have to necessarily solve, you know, world hunger or anything. You know, I think we often can confuse that too with like solving a big problem it has to be like solving something, you know, monumental. Quote unquote important. Exactly. Yeah. If we all brought the things that were inside of us, we would change, you know, we would do something monumental collectively if we were all acting out of the place of the things that we can see, the things that we can feel, the things that, you know, that connect with us, whether that's creating or producing or making or solving, you know, when we're all doing that, I think that's very powerful. And every time one does it, it sort of weeds that path a little more and clears a way for others to do it with greater ease. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about the why that drove you to found a glamping company. That was really solving was solving a problem. We had come to the conclusion that business was our next sort of endeavor and that we should therefore learn about how to sort of get into business. So we did and then immediately had a failure, as many people do on the on their business journey. 
the great financial crash of 2007 and 8 rolled over and wiped us out with our first business endeavor. It put us in a fairly precarious financial situation. So my husband said, well, we were in the UK at the time. I'm originally British. My husband's American from Montana. And he said, well, let's go to my family's farm and let's go start again and see if we can eke out a living on the farm. So that was what we did. And when I got to the farm, it reminded me so much of Africa. And I had spent, as I said, the early part of my career in Africa. And Montana is a place of extraordinary beauty, amazing wildlife. My in-laws live on the prairie center, eastern side of Montana. So it's flat, big, wide open spaces, lots of savannah, you know, which is effectively our prairie. And I just thought, wow, this is so like Africa. And so my husband, you know, crazy outdoors guy from Montana, you know, very happy being out in the wilderness, happy being out. And I am certainly not. So the glamping idea was kind of this compromise between him and me. It was like solving a problem for us both to be like, how can we be out in nature together with sharing our lives together and doing something you love that naturally I can tolerate? And then, of course, of realizing, wow, we we could... We could reimagine the safari experience in Africa and recreate it here in the States. And we could try and earn a living off the land. That, you know, that was the second problem we were trying to solve for. Could we earn a living off the land that wasn't farming? And what could that look like? So that was sort of the early exploration into glamping. And you talk about having had a past failure. How do you define a failure in business? Total financial collapse. That's big. I think failure, failure can look like many things, right? For us, it was having to end one business because it was no longer financially viable due to the financial crash. Uh, just the market fell out of what we were doing. Um, we had a socially minded property development company that was employing young school leavers, training them with skills like painting, plastering, tiling, et cetera, et cetera. And in so doing, we were doing up rundown properties using and training young people at the same time. But then, of course, the housing market fell apart. So by the time we'd finished renovating, it was worth less than what it was before we started when we bought the thing when it was derelict. So for us, that was a complete and utter disaster. But the social component was a huge success. So that was fascinating. You know, young people were being trained, having skills, being able to start their own businesses. So that was a success. And I think if the financial markets had not done what they had done, the business probably would have worked. There's so many things out of your control with operating a business. And that's, that's part of the challenge and part of the joy. And it sounds like you went all the way in. And that I think is one of the hardest parts for many women and probably for many founders in general Yeah, is we have this tendency to sort of half in or to not overextend ourselves for fear of failure and never really give things a shot. Yeah. So what did that conversation look like with your husband when the two of you said, no, we're going to bank on this failure or success. I think I and he have always been all in kind of people. I don't seem to be able to half ask anything, which actually is quite problematic occasionally. <laughs> yeah, and as with all superpowers. Yes, exactly. It has its challenges. But the reality is uh, now being a VC myself and investing in other founders, I have never seen a business work where the founders are not all in. So 
it is kind of one of those prerequisites that really is kind of fundamental. You can't expect to try and achieve something extraordinary or make something extraordinary happen if you are in and out, like if you're dabbling, if you're not throwing everything you've got at it and doing everything you can to make something succeed, because making a business succeed is really hard. And so if you're not, you know, and why would anyone invest in you either? So if you're not all in, why would anyone else want to back you? So, so that's part of the challenge, I think, but it is, it is problematic. I mean, I only invest in female founders. And so I spend a lot of time with female founders and female founders really struggle to be all in. (laughs) It's a really big challenge. And largely because we tend to want to be more risk averse. We, We tend to want to make sure we don't risk it all tends to not work. Really? Yeah. I think we also tend to not want to ask other people to fully support our dreams and goals. Yeah. I agree. I think we tend to downplay our dreams and goals. We tend to, to minimize them, make them smaller than they maybe actually are or could be, you know, for fear of, you know, not being able to make it happen or risk, you know, disappointment. And I think there's many reasons for that, but that really does us no favors whatsoever. It really, you know, you could almost just nail the coffin before you even start. Mm -hmm. It's almost as though for fear of disappointing others, we set ourselves up to disappoint ourselves. You're setting yourself up to disappoint yourself. Yeah. Or or create failure. There's going to be disappointment. That's one of the best pieces of advice I got as an adult was somebody said, we all just need to accept that disappointment happens. Yeah. And failure happens. That you will be a disappointment to other people. You will disappoint yourself. You will be disappointed by other people. Now move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we can accept it as part of the journey and as part of, actually, you're on the right path. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was revolutionary for me in my own thinking of, you know, problems, challenges, things going wrong, having to pivot, disruptions happening that's all an indication that you're on a good path, not that you're on the wrong path. Because we sometimes look at those signs and go, it's a sign (laughs) I shouldn't be moving forward. And it's like, no, it's a sign you're on the right path because the path to success is, you know, and however, however we want to define success, is littered with challenges and disappointment and failure and loss and trauma and chaos and, you know, all of those things. So it's, Can we build a capacity for it? Can we build a resilience for it? Can we accept it as part of the journey for getting somewhere great? And I think many people can't, which is why they can't achieve maybe what they would really dearly love to achieve. Why they don't try. Or why they don't try or why you don't start. Or feel like they're trying Mm. and are constantly stymied. I was... At a restaurant a few years ago, and I never went back to this particular restaurant because the energy of the chef owner was so fatalistic that I just didn't want to eat the food again. And his food was delicious, but he stood at our table and this was like right at the end of the pandemic. It was really our first time out. We're eating outside, you know, we're all spaced out. And he stood there and he just kept telling us all the reasons the world had set him up for failure. Yeah. And when we listen to someone else, we can hear it. We can hear, oh, wow. Oh, that, that's you, man. <laughs> you were, you were in this with the world. <laughs> exactly. And yet I think 
to your point about finding purpose or understanding what truly energizes us, it's only in retrospect that we really see those things. And so that's why I think reflection is such a big part of growth. Yes, hugely powerful. And getting other people to walk alongside you. I think women tend to not do that enough too. We need life coaches. We need coaches, business coaches. We need spiritual mentors. We need gurus in our lives, people who can reflect back to us, even a therapist, right? We need people who can reflect back to us what is real and what they can see about your own life. And that's so helpful for helping you keep moving in your your own destiny and walking in your own path and being true to yourself and connected to yourself. I think too, what you say, when you talk about your founding, you say we, because it doesn't sound like you've been a solo founder or maybe you are now, but certainly initially you were co-founding with your husband. There's so much courage that is cultivated through shared ownership. And yeah, there's, I'm sure lots of challenges in there too. Founding a company with anyone can be challenging, but I definitely think when one falls down, the other can pick them up. Two are usually not down at the same time, you know, and and when one is having a hard time wrapping their brain about some, around something or stressed about something, the other one could go, no, we can do it. Let's keep going, you know, and that voice doesn't always have to come from a co-founder too, but we do need people alongside us who help, help us keep getting back up. And that's, that's really the, the struggle of the entrepreneurship journey is can you keep getting back up? Because you will constantly keep getting knocked over and buffeted and face enormous challenges and struggles. And so who's going to help you? Because invariably it's, it'll be impossible to do it by yourself because the thud of, of whatever hits you will be so hard at times that you will just think, that's it. I'm out. It's over. <laughs> Clearly, this was not meant to be. This was not meant to be. And in those moments, you need someone to say, no, get back up. You can do this. You were made, you were made for this. You were born for this. Of course, you're going to make this happen. Of course, this is going to be, you know, the reality that occasionally this is going to happen. But let's get back up. Let's keep going. Let's get back on the horse. And we need people in our lives to, to say those things to us and help us who believe in us, believe in us sometimes more than we believe in our own selves. And how have you cultivated that community for yourself? What does it look like? I've had a therapist. I've had a business coach. I've had a business partner. And I have a couple of networks that I'm part of that are a place that is safe to share issues and problems and say how I'm feeling and find someone else who's been there, done it, or experienced that same thing and has wisdom and advice to help you along the road. And I have a couple of really close girlfriends who are not business people, but who I actively do life with, with unpacking my interior world. I seem to need all of those things. Like one alone is not enough. I think we might all need that rich tapestry of support, but we undervalue it. We miss the value of that because we think I don't have time for this or I can't, I've got to stay focused on the task at hand. I don't want to get distracted by all these other voices, but I don't know about you. I feel like I move so much faster when I invest some of my precious time resources routinely every week in getting reinvigorated by my sources of support. I too have a wide range. I have my husband who listens to every episode before I release it and gives feedback and 
it was just my advocate and champion. And he's there constantly saying, no, honey, this is good. This is important. Keep going. And I need that because I tend to fall into something I think a lot of women do, which is guilt from taking energy and resources for my passions that our time I could be spending taking care of our family or making more money. And he reminds me of the value of it. And so he sort of plays that angel on the shoulder. And then I've got my mom playing some of the role and then a girlfriend that I run with her every Friday morning. And we figure out all of our problems and all of our solutions in that one hour every Friday morning while we run and talk on the phone to each other. You know, like you, a therapist, a coach, these different sources of support that just round it all out and help sustain our highest best self. It literally takes a village, I think, to be our best selves. <laughs> and maybe sometimes maybe a whole town, not just a village. So maybe there isn't too much of that. And and I was trying to think like, what's the the grounding question we can ask ourselves to know if it's not enough, just right or too much. And I think it's, is there a return on the investment? Do I feel better and more energized and more courageous? because of this time spent? If yes, keep going. If no, hmm, you get to say stop. When things are not going well, or I'm not well, like I'm struggling internally, it's really easy, even with a good support network, I still can go hide inside (laughs) and I can not open up about something I'm struggling with and think I'm going to sort it all out in my head all by myself. And I never, I never can sort it out all by myself in my own head. I am not an introvert, so I do not have that mental capacity to do that in my own head. But I just, I keep catching myself with just how easy it is to pretend all is well. It can just be, you know, I'm worried about something or I've got stress that's kind of like eating at me that I'm not managing to get on top of. And so pulling our, putting, pulling ourselves out of hiding can be a real challenge, I think, sometimes. I think so too. And I think we hide for safety, for some security there, and it is counterproductive. And hearing someone like you who has done so much to help so many women have the confidence and the resources to go boldly into their dreams and who has done that courageous work yourself, hearing you acknowledge that is super important because I think we can internalize a story of like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And that's why I go and hide. I know. Or stall out. Yeah, exactly. And we also think I'm the only one who does this. Yeah. This is my fault. The I should phenomenon is such a killer, right? I should be able to handle this. I should be able to manage this. I should be able to control the situation or sort this out or whatever it or deal with it. I should be able to. And the reality is, is we all just need each other and we any situation any of us are facing, we we are built for community. We're built to be in relationship with each other. And we generally do better when we're supporting each other, helping each other. And we generally are able to be who we really are when we're surrounded by loving, caring people who we let in and we let people 
see our real selves. And you asked me a question before we started this podcast about women in leadership. And I have often thought, gosh, I am such an emotional leader. If you ask anyone who's ever worked for me, I'm really driven and I'm really obsessive about making things happen. But I'm also a really emotional person. And I I do struggle to keep my emotions contained. And I I think for women, we've not had enough sort of obvious role models that say, hey, it's okay to be a vulnerable leader. It's okay to own your internal world with others. And some of that can be, you know, in a, in a safer space. And some, some of that can be in a more open place with, you know, teams of people that you work with. But I I have found I'm I'm just never very good trying to hold it all in. And, and any time I try in any scenario, it never goes well for me. <laughs> I'm so glad you bring this up. It's something I coach a lot of female executives, especially in startups, about because it's a male-dominated field, right? We're all working with lots of data and lots of information and emotion is a data point. Yeah, absolutely is. And so we get in this place where we start to to quiet our most powerful data sources because we don't feel like they're valid or important and that people won't listen to us or, or really hear what we're trying to say if we provide insight from a place of emotion or story. Yeah. But imagine how much conflict we could solve on a daily basis if we used our emotional intelligence. <laughs> Just imagine, imagine what the world could look like if women showed up bravely, bringing their intuition, bringing their emotions to the table and using them as guided sources of information that help you navigate difficult situations. And that we, we typically hide actively. Yeah, absolutely. I will never forget there was a moment when um, we were in the early stages of, of raising capital in our company. And we had bootstrapped for a long time, maybe six or seven years. And eventually we were going out to raise capital so we could grow faster and do more. And we had a term sheet from eventually, I mean, like 18, it took me 18 months to get our first term sheet to the table, which was incredibly long, arduous, horrible journey. And I just, we just had a really bad feeling about this term sheet. So there we are feeling, I had a feeling about this term sheet. I had a feeling about the people on the other side of the table behind the term sheet who were just not singing from the same hymn sheet, but I persevered and I persevered, you know, trying to ignore those feelings, try and push through because we really need the capital. And if this is what it's going to take to get capital, then I've got to just do that. And eventually the guy really showed his, his true colors and, and we'd hit a bit of a, a wall in the business. And I had to own up to the fact that we had a problem in the business and that I was solving it, but we had a problem and I, I was duty bound to tell them about it. I told him about it and he lost it with me. And instead of saying, oh no, that doesn't sound good. What can we do to help? How can we be supportive? Do you need better lawyers? What have we got in our armory to try and solve this with you? He basically went for me and attacked me and basically said, this is very bad for you. If you don't sort this out, this is the end. This is the end for you. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to kill me or something? I was like, it was very dramatic and very dark. But I had instant clarity that my feeling was correct, right? That my original gut feeling was completely spot on. This was someone I should never be doing business with, should never be having any kind of partnership with. So it galvanized my decision to say, 
I think we're going to pass. Thanks. The still's not going to work for us. Then I have to stand, which he also didn't like, but then I had to stand in front of my whole staff team and tell them I failed. Like effectively, I have to say, you know, I got really close but I couldn't bring home the bacon. You know, we we were so close to closing a big deal. It was for $7 million, but I've pulled the plug on it because I didn't feel good about it, which is a crazy thing to stand up and say to the world. I pulled a deal on potentially perfectly good money because I didn't feel good about it. And I remember standing in front of our staff team. And as I told them, I was pulling the plug on, you know, our financing deal. And I did not know what that meant for the company. And I did not know what was going to happen next. I had no answers other than that I just couldn't do this. I burst into tears in front of everyone. Ideally, I wouldn't have done that either, but I couldn't hold it in. I just couldn't hold the raw emotion of the ordeal that I had been through and trying to sort of put capital into the company. Couldn't hold any of that emotion in. And it was so the best thing that ever happened. (laughs) It really galvanized, I mean... Not that I would just, you know, blatantly recommend go cry in front of your whole staff team. But it was true. I was true to myself. And I think what everyone saw in that moment was that I had been true to who I was as a leader and true to my own values and what I was trying to do in building this company. And that if we couldn't do it, you know, that way, we couldn't do it someone else's way. We had to do it our way. We had to do it a way that made sense and connected with us and felt real and authentic and true. And it was kind of like a waterfall moment, really. It it kind of, it completely cemented the company's values. You know, we rallied around, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is what we care about. This is how we treat other people. This is how we want to interact with each other. This is the kind of culture we want to build in our company. It was a really monumental thing for us and happened because I was brave enough, A, to be emotional in front of my team and B, to finally listen to my own instinct and my own sense of what's right and what's not right. Brings tears to my eyes to listen to it. And I think just to sort of wrap a bow around this, no, you're not going to recommend that people cry in front of their teams all the time. But I think you can solidly say that truth will be the right way forward. And that's always right. Yeah. And just being your authentic self. Yes, Yes. exactly. Being true to who you are, not hiding who you are, not trying to be something different, but being, being the leader that you are and how it looks for you and not having to be how you think you are supposed, supposed to show up. I could have kept that all in behind closed doors and, you know, then brought the solution to the team and said, well, this didn't work, but now I found a different solution. And I could have hidden it all, but there was something good about bringing it out in the open and and being on a journey together, a hard journey together that was, that was good for our team. Good and good for me as a leader. Well, you were a human being who was trying her best and using her strengths to try to figure out a really difficult solution. And by letting them see that, I, I think there's a really strong intersection between trust and truth. And when we act from a place of truth, we receive in response trust. And the hiding that we do, I think we're much better at hiding from ourselves than others. So people feel that lack of integrity in us. When we are hiding our emotions, hiding our truth, they feel icky and awkward and unsafe. 
and they don't know why necessarily, but that that is felt and that creates distrust. But if we can just be fully true and honest and in integrity, what we do is we open up that space to be true to ourselves and to others. But I think seeing for ourselves what the truth is, that's the hardest part because we don't always know when we're out of integrity. No, we don't. But it's it's like trying to find the path that is the most authentic you, isn't it? It's trying to just be true to yourself in any moment. And the reality is we are complex human beings. There are lots of different sides of ourselves. I'm emotional. But I'm also really strong. I'm courageous. Sometimes I suffer from anxiety, you know, and there are those those things that are juxtaposed with each other. They're all true. They're all me. They're all the reality. And the challenge as an individual is to hold all those parts of yourself and allow them to, to help you bring the best of yourself out. And that's, that's really what I'm still striving for, is to allow all those different parts of myself to make me who I am in the world. And occasionally the, the drivenness needs to be told to just knock it off and calm down, take, take a chill. <laughs> And sometimes the anxious part of myself also needs to be told, it's okay, we got this. There's nothing to worry about. All is well. You know, and, and it's it's being, it's recognizing all those all those parts of yourself and, and bringing them together to be who we are. Going back to this idea of emotion as a, as a female leader in, in particular, how do you, in rooms that are data-led, how do you help yourself be heard? Yeah, that's a great question. Anyone who ever sits in the room with me will know they can present all the data in the world and I'll still say, hmm, but my gut says, or hmm, I'm thinking this. And so how I show up, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but how I show up is I I try and listen to all the potential facts that we've got out there. And I try and also listen to my own feeling about those facts and whether I trust them, don't trust them, have a different sense. I've sat in revenue management meetings, for example, and people have presented budgets and I'll say, hmm, I think we can do better than that. Or I think we're being too aggressive on that those particular numbers over there, I don't think will hit that, or I don't think the customer should bear that kind of a price. And none of that's like logical. That's all just instinct or an experience. I mean, maybe that's, that's the other thing. Yes. It, that is a synthesis of all of your experience. And how are you going to quantify that? Exactly. You can't. And that's, you know, that's why people get paid big money to sit in big jobs, right? They have experience. And so I think we also tend to downplay the experience that we have that creates an instinct that gives you a sense of, mm, I think that that data point might be off, or that's just a piece of data. But when you put them all together, it might give you a different conclusion. And so I am very led by my own instinct and my own sense of intuition um, and my experience and my interpretation of my experience, which is obviously biased. But I think when you bring all of that to the table, and other people with different perspectives, and you allow people to challenge you. That's always been super important to me, allowing people to challenge my own instincts, challenge my experience. And I can definitely instinctually want to rough shod over anyone who's got a different opinion than I do. <laughs> but learning to listen to other people's opinions and 
question and probe them as to why they, you know, why they believe that data point or why they think that's true or why they think that's right. And then collectively, I think we can make great decisions. So I very much show up as a, let's hear all the data, but let's bring our experience and my, and our instincts to the table too, and analyze those too collectively. And because as you said, while there are biases in our instincts, there's biases in our data too. Yeah, exactly. We might as well just accept. I mean, data can be biased and instinct can be biased. And, and that's again, why. And in fact, they all are. I don't even think it's a can be. Well, exactly. It is always. Yeah. And so differing opinions, differing personalities, different skill sets all make for helping you be a better leader and having surrounding yourself, not surrounding yourself with yes people or surrounding yourself with people who think exactly the same way you do. It's not a good idea. That's another reason why diversity matters, right? That's why women-led businesses tend to do better because they tend to have a more diverse group of people sitting around the table. So, you know, diversity is good from that perspective and healthy and, you know, helpful for us all. Yes. How do you empower other voices in the room and create a safe space for diverse opinion? I think humor can be really useful in this regard. And I never think of myself as a humorous person, but I can denigrate myself quite easily in front of others, which I think can be helpful with lightening the mood and enabling people to feel like it's okay to say something silly or it's okay to throw a crazy idea out out there. We're not going to... We're not going to be precious about this. No, exactly. And I can be free to put out stupid ideas too. And everyone feel free to pull them apart. So I think lightheartedness, some humor, I definitely can take everything way too seriously. And so being able to pull us back into a lighthearted place and there's no rules here and it's, there's no silly answers is helpful. And and I need people on my team. I know this about myself. I need people on my team and sat around the table who are funny because I'm really not so people who bring the fun, people who lighten the mood, you know, people who can crack a joke, that helps a dynamic when I'm quite serious and I'm very driven and I want to get to the point and I don't want to waste time. And having those, you know, kind of personalities sat around the table, I think also really helps create an environment that creates some freedom for everyone to be who they are. I think too, what you're talking about is the active intention of full diversity. And so there are, there are sort of obvious spectrums on which we can set diversity targets to ensure that we are bringing different perspectives in, but to bring in different mindsets as well and to really enable and empower people to lead from their own authentic gifts, especially because they are different from us. I work with a lot of maladaptive perfectionists, women who are... Yeah. Are, <laughs> who tend toward perfectionism. I also though work with a lot of women who have ADHD and who've been super successful because they understand how to work with both the hyper-focus and the slow simmer. And enabling those, that understanding, I think is such a big part of this and that appreciation of those as gifts individually that serve the collective. Yeah. I used to have a COO who worked for me. He was an ex-Marine. He was a brilliant executor. And anytime I would be getting 
two up myself or like two thinking like the world is on my shoulders and like, you know, focus, this problem is just like the biggest problem in the world and the world's going to end if we don't. He would remind me, you know, having served in Afghanistan, that no one's going to die today. Like we do not need to like, let's just take a step back. And he, you know, he would have this phrase that he would roll out. We're not armoring up for like full on full scale war. So dial it back, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, let's dial it back. It was a great perspective shifter and that's helpful for pulling you out of your perfectionistic, driven, obsessive self, taking on board a reminder that says, hmm, yeah, this is not life and death. We are not in a war zone and people's lives are not on the line today. Let's just chill out for a moment. In fact, if I try to lead as though there is that level of acute stress and importance, I am not going to make good decisions because stress is the opposite of creativity. No, and I'm possibly going to really kill people. <laughs> yes. Yep. That's right. I may ultimately kill people. I also certainly kill dreams. Yeah. I was squashed before. If I act as though I'm in this. Yeah. Life and death yep. scenario when I'm really not 100%. So as a venture capitalist working with women, you are working with women who are giving birth to their biggest, most vulnerable dreams in many cases. How do you cultivate confidence and courage in those women? One of my favorite things to do, and we try and do this at least once a year, if not more often, with the women that we work with, is keep reminding them who they are. So like keep calling them out with who we can see or who I can see that they are. Because sometimes we don't act out of who we really are, right? And I think sometimes having people say to you that I see you. I see that you're this. I see that you're capable of this. I see this is the name that's written across your heart. This is who you are. And so that's one of my favorite things to do really is just keep calling people out and reminding them who they are, reminding them of their destiny and reminding them of who they were made to be. And we've done a couple of different things with gifting some of the women we've worked with. Either a little rock with a word on it that says this, you know, this is, this is your word for the year, or this is who you are, or I want you to put this on your desk and just remember this word or a short little passage that we've written on a frame and stuck it up on the wall and just tried to project some future positivity. And I think most people would say that that is not an investor's job, but I actually think that really is an investor's job because all an investor ever gets to do is champion you, the founder. Really, that's really what, what I should be doing and your investors should be doing. I should put, be putting money in your company and championing you to succeed and finding every which way I possibly can to help you succeed. Most of the problem for women succeeding is in our heads. It's the things we believe, the things we think, the things that keep us stuck, the things that cause us to struggle. And so if I can be of service and help to helping you believe better and think better and know yourself better, then I think I'm doing a good job. I think so too. And I never would have thought going into this call that you as a VC and me as a coach, we're really doing the same thing all day. Totally. And you are an uplifter and you are helping these women rise higher by giving them support and encouragement to overcome any limiting beliefs or fears and to dream bigger and bolder. So glad to spend this time with you. 
For those of you listening, thank you so much for lifting us higher. Meet us over at theupliftherspodcast.com so that we can all keep rising higher together. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at theupliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Mwah! Big love! Painted water sunshine With rosemary and tun Dwell in the perplexing Though you find it vexing Toss a star and hover Be your own best lover Relish in a new prime Plant a tree in springtime Dance with that old hindsight Sun to twilight, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, lift you up, whoa, lift you up. Mommy, stop crying. Mommy, stop crying. You're disturbing the peace.